Good morning. My name is Melissa Shazer. I'm one of the pastors here at CPC. It was around this time last year that I started to feel what I would like to call um, some holiday overwhelm. Has anyone ever experienced holiday overwhelm? If your schedule is anything like mine, what Halloween can sometimes feel like is almost like a starting line. Once we get past that starting line of Halloween, we then have Thanksgiving, we have birthdays peppered in, so uh, Christmas, New Year's, more birthdays, and then it just kind of spits us out in the middle of February, and we're wondering what happened over the last few months. So as I was stepping into this season last year, starting to feel some of that overwhelm bubbling up, I came across a metric put out by one of my favorite um, one of my favorite authors and podcasters, she encourages people to use this metric anytime they're facing a complicated decision or a plan that has multiple layers and priorities. In this metric, she encourages people to first list in any given situation what could matter about it. So if we think about like Halloween, what could matter about Halloween of costumes, if that matters to you? What kind of candy to hand out? Are you going trick-or-treating? Where are you going trick-or-treating? Halloween parties, et cetera, et cetera. All the things that could matter. In the middle column, she then says, to name what actually does matter to you. Because not everything needs to matter. A lot of things can, but not everything needs to. So what actually does matter to you? Then in the third column, she says, this is the biggest priority. She says to name one thing, which is what matters most. She says, if you can actually identify from your list of things that do matter what matters most, all of the other things have a way of falling into place. We have been in a sermon series on Paul's letter to the Corinthian church. They've been talking about a lot of things that do matter for the life of the church, for how the church functions and operates. But today, we are stepping into 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and what we are going to find is that there is one thing that Paul says matters most. It matters most above everything else. We are going to read this together. I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of Scripture. I will read the leader parts, and then we will read together the all parts. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. 
When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became an adult, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. You may be seated. This is an iconic passage, an iconic passage. There is a lot happening on the surface. There are a lot of things that this could be about, but as we dig deep into the scripture today, what we will find is that experiencing the love of Christ shifts our priorities from the immediate to the eternal. That is at the heart of this passage. So what were those immediate concerns that the church was dealing with? Leading up to this passage throughout 1 Corinthians, uh, throughout the entire letter, we see a lot of things that Paul is trying to address. Good leadership, morality, right structure in the church. But specifically in our chapter today, we're really looking at spiritual gifts They were prioritizing, how do we live out spiritual gifts well? This is why our passage opens with, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, this is a spiritual gift, but do not have, I'm a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, this is a spiritual gift, but do not have, I gain nothing. Now this may seem a little bit different than what our immediate priorities are the questions that we're asking in our day-to-day lives. I mean, spiritual gifts do matter. They do matter. But what's happening here is that the Corinthian church is focusing on this problem that falls in that middle category of it does matter. But Paul steps aside for a reason to tell them that love matters most. Do we sometimes need a reminder about what matters most? My immediate may not be spiritual gifts. It may be things like um, trying to keep my home to a certain standard of cleanliness and decorations and whatever. Uh, It may look like keeping my inbox relatively cleaned up. It may look like planning for future events. It may look like a lot of different things. And those are things that matter. But does does it ever happen that that ends up moving into the category of the thing that matters most. Now, the immediate things that the church was dealing with then and our immediates may look a lot different, but can we take a moment and just think about the motivations? Why is it that sometimes things that matter to us take first priority? Why is it that love can actually take a back seat sometimes for us? I wonder if the motivations could actually be somewhat similar. Just as it mattered to the first church to have orderly worship and to run their church well, it can matter to us to have our homes and our workplaces and communities run well. But is perfectionism ever a problem for us? Is that goal ever set a little bit too high? Just as those in the early church got attention and respect and accolades when they were practicing spiritual gifts and when they were leading well? Do we sometimes get a lot of attention and respect when we have things all put together, when we're well-informed and on top of everything? Just as the early church could feel confident about God's favor even, 
God's attention toward them when they were seeing the work of the Spirit in their church, do we ever have a tendency to think that maybe our performance and what we do merits God's favor, that that's how we get God's attention and God's love? These motivations may be somewhat similar, actually, between the early church and us. And this is why Paul cuts through the noise to say the immediate will fall away and one thing is going to remain, love. What do we mean when we say love? Over the last two weeks, I have made a note in my phone every time I have heard the word love spoken in conversation. I uh, now have a very long list, actually. The word has been thrown around quite a bit. I would not say that I have a clear definition based on my conversations on what love is, though. Uh, On one end of the spectrum, for example, my two-year-old yelled, I love baby shark. (laughs) We, uh, We got Thai food last week. I heard myself say, I love Thai food. Okay, that's one use of the word of love. On the other end of the spectrum, we have these really tender, sweet moments that happen. My five-year-old hugging my dad and saying, I love you, Poppy. Just the sweetest, tenderest. My husband and I celebrated nine years of marriage and recited our vows to each other again, declaring, recommitting to a deep kind of love. Why is there this chasm? Why does that exist? English, our language only provides us one word for what most other languages provide many words to describe, including in the New Testament, which was written in Greek, there are many words to describe love. And it is important for us this morning to know that when we talk about love in 1 Corinthians, we are talking about one kind of love and one kind of love only. We are not talking about romantic love, despite its use in wedding ceremonies. We are not talking about familial love. We're not talking about loyalty. What we are talking about in 1 Corinthians is agape love. Can you say agape with me? Agape. Agape is the unconditional, sacrificial love that shows both who God is and what God does. Love is patient Love is kind, is a self-sacrificial kind of love. And if we want a really clear definition of what sacrificial love is, we actually hear this and read this in 1 John 3.16. It says, this is how we know what agape love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay our lives down for our brothers and sisters. This is what agape love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. This is the kind of self-sacrificial love that agape is. Now, agape love is not something that comes natural to us. We are not naturally wired towards self-sacrifice. We are naturally wired towards self-protection. I was down in Florida a few years ago with my mom, and we were walking out to the beach, and out of the corner of my eye, I saw like something black just like slithering in the bushes. And a second later, it comes out on the path. It's like a four-foot snake coming out on the path. Church, did I self-sacrificially love my mother in that moment? (laughs) I did not. I ran as fast as I could away from that snake. She still brings it up on occasion. (laughs) It's not hardwired into us. The only person that self-sacrificial love was hardwired into was Jesus, the only person who was wired for self-sacrifice was Jesus. And this is why 
we cannot know or begin to self-sacrifice until we know of Jesus' sacrifice and his love for us. If we can't wrap our minds around Jesus' sacrifice for us, what we will end up doing is striving throughout our lives to produce love and goodness without ever experiencing transformation on a deeper level. We have to rest knowing the love of Christ, lay our lives at his feet in order to ever begin showing that kind of love to others. Paul puts it this way in Galatians. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. That is the self-sacrifice. Christ lives in me. This isn't me. I'm not just working and striving to produce goodness. It is Christ doing that within me. If we miss this church, if we miss this foundational truth, the rest of the sermon simply doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. We can't produce love unless we know Christ's sacrifice for us. But Paul says that when we fully understand what Jesus did for us, it makes us lay down our lives and take up his instead. Agape love flows out of gratitude for and faith in Christ's sacrifice for us. So what happens if we're living out this kind of agape love to and for one another? When we get to that ode to love, love is patient, love is kind. What it can sound like to us is like a lesson in virtuosity. I will occasionally read it and think to myself, well, I ought to be more patient I ought to be more kind. Like this is something I can like muscle myself, like a self-help fix. But what we're actually missing when we read it in that way is the real definition of agape, of self-sacrifice. If we are committed to living out this real kind of agape love, submitting ourselves to Christ and letting the spirit work in us, the way we read this passage changes significantly and it begins to sound more like, I will sacrifice to be more patient. Ooh, that one's harder, laying aside, right? Laying aside my schedule or my plans or my agenda. I will sacrifice to be kinder to others. I will sacrifice my envy of others. I'll sacrifice my pride and my boasting, my own self-image. I will sacrifice my anger and the track record that I keep of how others have wronged me. Who wants to give that up? I will sacrifice to protect others. I will sacrifice to trust in a deeper way. I'll sacrifice to hope when it feels hopeless. I'll sacrifice to persevere. We have a lot more skin in the game when we are reading this through the lens of agape love. Eugene Peterson put this kind of love this way. He says, every day I put love on the line. There is nothing I am less good at than love. He says, I am far better in competition than in love. I'm far better at responding to my instincts and ambitions to get ahead and make my mark than I am at figuring out how to love another. I am schooled and trained in acquisitive skills in getting my own way. And yet, 
I decide every day to set aside what I can do best and attempt what I do very clumsily, open myself to the frustrations and failures of loving, daring to believe that failing in love is better than succeeding in pride. When we start doing this kind of work, it changes who we are, and we begin to participate in something bigger than just that immediate, and instead participate in something eternal. When we are focused on receiving the self-sacrificial love of Christ, it changes us in a way that actually impacts the here and now and what is to come. At the end of our passage, we read, love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. When completeness comes, when completeness comes, there is a day in which completeness will come. That means that what we're living in right now is not actually what God has for us. God has a lot more for us one day that we are awaiting, and yet somehow we are participating in the inbreaking of that completeness as we demonstrate self-sacrificial love to one another. Friends, I've been reading this passage for years. I have a memory of uh, sitting on a bus in fifth grade. I had just come to faith and memorizing this very passage on a school bus in fifth grade. It was only this week that it dawned on me that mirrors in the first century are different than mirrors today. <laughs> uh, when we think about a mirror, looking into a mirror, it says dimly, if we walk into one of the CPC bathrooms and look into a mirror, we're gonna pretty much see the accurate reflection of what is happening in the present, right? When Paul talks about looking into a mirror dimly, this is the kind of mirror that he is talking about. <laughs> it's essentially a piece of polished metal. That's what a mirror was back then. Can you imagine getting ready for a night out and this is what you have to look at your reflection? <laughs> to get yourself ready. This is, this is Paul's understanding of a mirror. If you glimpse into it, you may see a vague outline. You may see vague shapes, but you don't get to see in fullness what is actually there. This is what we await. Paul goes on to write another letter to the Corinthians. They needed another. Um, and in it, he writes, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, the immediate, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This is what we participate in when we accept Christ's sacrifice for us and begin to live out this agape love. And the truth is that there are a lot of things in our lives that could matter. There are a lot of things in our lives that do matter. There is only one thing that matters most. We saw this kind of agape love play out 
in the Middle East actually over the last few weeks. As so many news stories have come out. There was one in particular that really struck me. The Catholic cardinal in Jerusalem. So he is one of the church leaders who actually follows in the steps of the uh, Christian martyrs. The cardinals wear red shoes because it's the idea that they're walking um, and their feet have been soaked in blood. They are meant to be living out self-sacrifice. The Catholic cardinal in Jerusalem about a week after the initial attacks was in an interview and he said that he would freely give himself in exchange for the children who had been kidnapped in a hostage exchange. In this interview, he said that he would do anything for them. He would do anything to bring them home. And so, of course, that meant that he was fully available and willing to exchange himself to take their place. The love of Christ changes our perspective from the immediate what would happen to him, the rational fears that he ought to have in that situation, to the eternal, the making right of all things. Now, we may not have the opportunity to sacrifice in that same way this week, but if we know deeply what Jesus did to take our place, we'll let his sacrifice change us so that we can demonstrate real, everlasting, sacrificial love to a world that is in need. So I want to ask you over the coming minutes, what does sacrificial love look like for you? In your work context, in your homes, what does sacrificial love look like for the people who are closest to you? Now I know some of you may not know of Christ's sacrifice and what he's done for you. This may actually be new good news to you. And if that's the case, please come talk with us afterward. We want to pray with you and talk with you. But if you are someone who has said yes to Christ, who has said yes to letting the Spirit do its work within you to change who you are and how you function, I'm going to put the list up that I, that rereading of 1 Corinthians 13 that I listed earlier. And I want to just take a moment to reflect what's the Spirit doing within you? Where are you getting called this week to sacrificially love differently? Maybe it's sacrificing to be more patient with your kids, with your coworkers. Maybe I'll sacrifice to be kinder to maybe that one person who just nags at you. You'll choose kindness. Would you sacrifice your envy of others, being content with what the Lord has given you? Maybe it's your pride and your boasting, like your own self-image. Or that anger that springs up letting go of that track record that you really want to hold on to. This week, what is sacrificing to protect or to trust look like? Maybe you need hope in a big way. Or maybe you've been running for a long time and you need to persevere. The Holy Spirit is at work in us not of our own might and our own will and our own strength, but actually in the strength of Christ's sacrifice. I'm gonna close us in prayer. 
just pray that the Holy Spirit keeps doing its work in you. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are good. We thank you that you are a God who loves us so much that you would show us what agape love is, that you would even create agape love through your son, Jesus Christ. That we would know sacrifice, not because we are naturally good at it, but that when we see the sacrifice of Christ for each one of us, it brings us to our knees. Lord, let us be transformed by the power of your love today. Help us to live out sacrificial love in submission to your will and submission to your spirit. Let it change who we are and how we are in the world. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Amen.